Welcome to the Ritual House Podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Leibovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Welcome back, listeners. Capricorn season is here. We had a new moon this week. It's a new month in the Jewish calendar. A lot of new things. I think we're finally in that rhythm of the new year where, you know, we get to sort of lean into what we want to do with our year. How do we want to be? How do we want to show up? I am not an astrologist, but I think a lot of you know by now I really dig astrology and I really love when astrology at large sort of mirrors the Jewish astrology and then also mirrors what's going on in my own personal life. It really, really makes me happy. So hi, I really loved the conversation that I got to have with my guest, Abby Rysminski, who you will get to meet in a few moments. She's awesome as a human and writer and dancer, and she's a retired dancer, but I think of her as such. And what I took away from this conversation is something that I I knew I cared deeply about regarding ritual, like the reason that I am drawn to creating this ritual house, the reason I'm drawn to doing ritual and was always drawn to ritual is something that we talked a little bit about in the episode, which is that ritual is an opportunity to really go inward in the depths. It's an opportunity to go into the depths. So while I'm always into like, how does this connect us to to like our ancestors? How does this connect us to humanity? How does this connect us to divine and spirituality? And all those things are very true. And I have that lens as someone that facilitates. It's something that I walk in with as a rabbi and a ritualist. But something that I that I forget about that Abby and I spoke about is that Ritual is an opportunity to go really into the depths of something outside of our daily lives, outside of what our lives require us to do, meaning all the to-do lists, the grocery shopping, the laundry, the the chit-chats, the chitter-chatters that we have to do, um, all the things we have to get done in the world, which are important. Work, even partnership and friendship can feel sometimes like, I don't want to say noise. Noise is like a very strong word for this because (laughs) obviously we love the people in our lives, but there's not always an opportunity to really go inward alongside other people or even by ourselves. There's not in our world, especially with the iPhones that we have and like how attached we are to technology. There's just not. And, And so, of course, we can meditate. Of course, we can pray. Of course, we can do a lot of different things to access that quiet. Um, We could go into nature to access that solitude. All really important. And I think what this episode reminded me is that ritual is a portal to that inward depth and solitude that we all need. And the beautiful part about it is that when it is done right for ourselves, meaning whatever the ritual is that we need personally in that moment, and sometimes it's a ritual that we require daily or weekly or monthly, that that ritual is our grounding. So it's kind of it's kind of just this beautiful, beautiful way to think about ritual as an opportunity 
to go inward, sometimes alongside other people, sometimes not, but to allow for that ritual to be the portal and the threshold towards our own knowingness and our own needs. Like, what are our needs? And and I think as someone that, I was actually just talking to a friend about this. I was at a party and I said, I don't know what happened to me. Have I always been an introvert? This person's known me for a while because I was at this party and I, I just did not, I mean, I did not want to be there if I'm being perfectly honest. And she said to me, you're not, I, she's like, of course, maybe you're an introvert. I don't know. But she's like, you don't like you don't like the chit chat. You you like to do ritual. You like to lead ritual. You like to go into the depths of things and to help others do that. And it reminded me of why I love ritual. extremely delighted to have a dear friend and awesome writer and human on today. I'm going to introduce you formally, Abby, if that's cool. This is Abigail Rusminski. She is a writer and a teacher. She works as a lecturer in the program in narrative medicine at the Keck School of Medicine at USC and teaches creative writing to medical students in the HEAL, which is humanities, ethics, economics, art, and law program at Keck. She also runs writing workshops and retreats for women from her home in LA. They're amazing. I've done them. And the popular Abby's Secret Summer School on Instagram every summer. After graduating from Columbia's MFA program in nonfiction writing in 2012, she served as a teaching fellow in the undergraduate creative writing program. You can find her writing in the New York Times, Cup of Joe, The Cut, The Washington Post, Food 52, Epicurious, Long Reads, Dance Magazine, O, The Oprah Magazine, and more. She also writes a weekly newsletter called People and Bodies, and she has appeared on podcasts The Mom's Mom Rage, Episode 26, and Restoration Row, and The Myth of Motherhood. She's a native of Montreal and has lived in Brooklyn for 12 years before moving to Vienna, Austria. After four years as an expat, she now lives in Los Angeles with her family. Welcome, Abby. I wanted to share a little bit of more about Abby just from knowing her. Abby is an influencer. And I mean that not in the traditional way that we use the word influencer today. When you think of influencer, you think of social media influencer. She, I guess, can be a social media influencer, but she's really an influencer in her everyday life. She's the kind of person that when she's excited about something, Everyone knows she's excited about it, and everyone wants to be part of her excitement. And I think she builds community exceptionally well. So she has accolades as a writer and as a thinker and someone that is like really diving into what it means to be a human and a mother in the world. But I think what's so cool is she's actually a really extraordinary human in the world in the everyday humaning sense. And so I'm so grateful she's a friend and so excited she's here on the podcast. She's just a gift. So welcome. Yay. Oh, my God. That is like the most moving, lovely introduction of all time. I'm so, so honored and so delighted to be in conversation with you. This is so cool. Yay. Well, I mean, you know me, I'm good at the Hallmark birthday card messages. It's just like my, (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like a good, uh, it's a good thing. I mean it sincerely. It's not, it's not insincere, but it is something. I don't know if it's a rabbi thing. I don't know, but I, I do mean it. 
Well, it's a lovely way to like, just like you're able to encapsulate like a kind of person or an idea like so seamlessly. So it's really very special. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Well, I'm so glad you're here. It's like so fun to do a podcast with a friend because we're we could just we could just talk as we do but we're gonna actually contain it around something that's near and dear to me and i know near and dear to you as well which is ritual yeah and so my first question is do you have ritual that you remember from your childhood from your early early tiny little days of abby in montreal at age whatever (laughs) i do actually and it's very funny when i started thinking about this I have to be honest that the the first thing that came to mind is like, it's a very funny, it's like not a very profound on the surface ritual, but it was like the thing that like was like a marker of my childhood in this very funny way. I was a competitive gymnast as a child. And so my whole life from like age seven to 13 was spent in a gym and all of my, the rest of my life was sort of oriented around practice, which took up like all this time more and more as the years went on. And so by the time I was in like sixth and seventh grade, I was in the gym for three hours every night and four hours on the weekends. And this was my whole life. I did. I didn't know this about you, by the way. I knew you had a dancer life, which is not even in your bio. But anyway, keep going. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Well, I was a rhythmic gymnast, which people like to ridicule, but actually it's like really beautiful sport with like hoops and ropes and balls and whatever. My father is a neurologist and he forbade me from doing like regular gymnastics because he was convinced I was going to like break my neck. And he had seen like too many people with concussions and, you know, brain injuries. And so he was like, there's no way you're going to like jump off a balance beam, but I will let you do rhythmic gymnastics. And I was all I wanted was to go to the Olympics and I was training, you know, to go to the Olympics. And so I was in practice every afternoon or every evening, six to nine, every night from age, I guess, 11 on before that it had been, you know, like two days, three days, four days a week anyway. And then it was like every day. And so my routine or my ritual, I guess, with my, with my mother was that I would come home from school, I guess at three, whatever. And then at four (laughs) o'clock, I would set myself up in the living room. My mother would make these big lasagnas that I would eat like all week. It was like all I ate. I'd have dinner at four o'clock watching Oprah. I mean, I was like 11 years old and I just watched Oprah and ate lasagna for dinner and did my homework at the same time. Like, I don't quite understand how any of this worked, but I remember doing it all at the same time. And this was my life for like years. It was just like four o'clock dinner and lasagna and Oprah. And then I would have to get ready for practice. And, you know, as the years went on, I really, it was, you know, it's a kind of, it's a more complicated story because it was not, you know, like with all most elite um, sports, you know, it was not like the best environment. And so as the years went on, I feel like, part of the kind of routine, part of the ritual of this was like around five o'clock, I would get like a terrible feeling of dread. You know, it was like Oprah was over. My dinner was over. And now I have to go face this three hours in the gym, which got sort of increasingly like awful as the years went on. But it was like this little period that I remember like enjoying so much and also being 
I mean, it was so inappropriate. I don't really know why an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old was allowed to watch Oprah. Because I remember watching shows that were like, really, like I didn't understand what was going that's, on. Because that's what we did in the and 80s. Like, I mean, no, yeah, I mean, 90s. I guess yeah. that's it. Yeah. Totally. My mother, like, didn't watch with me. She just sort of let me do this. And, um, but it's really, like, <laughs> stamped into my, like, brain as, like, my, this was my, this is what I did in my childhood. Wow. Um, and anyway, it was, that was the first thing that came to me, which is like so funny because I don't usually think about that, but I do have very fond memories of Oprah. I mean, <laughs> it's being part of my childhood. There are worse people to have, you know, in there your are. psyche I mean, I on a daily basis, right? Totally. She was totally, hyping you up for totally. the, for the rhythmic gymnastic team, you know, <laughs> that's she why was. She, she was, was giving you the support. I love that. I love Oprah being a ritual. Totally. Why not? And lasagna. That's great. Well, totally. And now, I mean, the lasagna is like, you know, a family favorite. Right. It's, I've never made it actually because it's like way too, it's it's sort of difficult. But yeah, I think often food, food like food is definitely I, that question. A lot of people just they go straight to it, which makes so much sense. Oprah, I haven't yeah. heard yet, but I but I love that. I love that. I and and I like, <laughs> I like that there is a juxtaposition between you being in rhythmic gymnastics, so serious, planning for the Olympics, and then like doing your homework with Oprah and lasagna. There's something very yeah. sweet about that. I often think about that in terms of now parenting. You know, I had such a disciplined life, and everything had to be done in a certain way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my hair and my leotards, and we were only allowed to have like water. And, you know, it was all very like, serious. Yeah. And my mom, I'm just thinking of like, God, I don't let my kid come home from school and just like watch TV for an hour every day. I mean, I know a lot of people do, but we don't. And I certainly don't let her watch like an adult television show. (laughs) So I feel like there was something very kind of, I mean, as you said, it was like very like 90s parenting, but it was also just, there was something very relaxed about it that felt important. I think my mom was like, she clearly just needs to like space out for a while because that was like the only hour of the day in which I was allowed to space out. And I feel like as I do really believe in that as like a ritual, like the kind of, you know, the space to just like kind of space out, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be like this serious thing. And I just think the building that in was like, kind of sent me a very powerful message because I was like, it's really okay to like watch TV and chill. Yeah. Like it's good. Yeah. Well, especially (laughs) if you were a kid that was super competitive and disciplined yourself, then it's like your mom had the wisdom to be like, yeah, but you know, you can also watch TV and relax and, yeah. and that's good too. And yeah, I, I had that a little yeah. bit too. I resonate with that. Like I was so regimented and I did have a lot of, when I was home, a lot of like off time to watch things that I shouldn't have watched. I don't know. Yeah. There was a relaxed nature of coming straight home into that, that I don't have with my kids either. Um, And you didn't yeah. grow up with you, you're Jewish, but you didn't grow up as we joke about you. And I often like that you now you now go to synagogue almost every week. But that is I not do. that is not your that's not your upbringing. Like you didn't grow up with like regular Jewish ritual in your household. No, my parents are both Jewish. My sister and I did not. We were not uh, bat mitzvahed. We did not celebrate Shabbat. 
we didn't do anything. We did Hanukkah. We we did. We went to to synagogue on the high holidays. We went to a, the same family's house on Passover, and they came to us on Thanksgiving. We celebrated Jewish Christmas, which is to say, I mean, we obviously did like the Chinese food in the movie, but we also did presents. It made no sense. <laughs> like the whole thing was like a fabrication. It was like a capitalist fabrication that we came up with. And I, I don't know really how, but Judaism was like just not... It was very much like something I knew that I I was because I went to, for elementary school, I went to a, like a basically a French school where I was like the only Jew. And so I was very aware of being Jewish. Right. Um, but in our house, it was not a thing. Hmm. And so it's been like really like kind of an amazing thing to make it part of my, my house yeah. as an adult, mm-hmm. you know? And do you- do you resonate with it? I do. I mean, I obviously like the kind of food is like my entree. I like yeah. make my challah every Friday. You do every week? You make it? I do. Most Fridays I do make it. That is like so hardcore. Well, it's it. it I mean, I guess it is. But it's like I just am a big I bake and I love baking. So it's like it's sort of just an extension of that for me. And there's something really um like it does feel spiritual to me to like bake, but I also like a couple of weeks ago, I brought the, our, my challah to the bar. <laughs> Sometimes I go for drinks with a bunch of people on Friday, and I brought the challah to the bar. I love it. And as a kind of act of like resilience, I guess, and like defiance a little bit, and and of celebration of like and as an offering to these to these friends, and so. I really do. And I love, and I also like, you know, I don't know how to read Torah. I don't know any of that, but I do like love also the kind of, I've been so entranced with this idea that like you read the same text over and over and over again, like endlessly, endlessly. and you get something new out of it. I mean, and as a writer, I, I love this because obviously I read books again and again, yeah. and, and I read, certainly read poems again and again. And the idea that like, this is built into like who we are is like so kind of magical to me. I don't know. And I, it's sort of sad that my parents didn't (laughs) believe in any of these things, you know, but also, but I will say like my father, like, you know, my father knew how to say cottage for his father. He was like, he, he learned all of this. He just sort of didn't pass it on to us. So, yeah, I mean, there's good, I'm sure there's good reason. And it's, it's in some ways as someone sitting here, like, I grew up with it and was very much in it differently than my dad was. He grew up ultra-Orthodox. My mom converted to Judaism, so they both had very different upbringings for how they raised us, which is similar, I think. Not that we can categorize any Jewish household as the same, but similar in that, like, Shabbat and holidays and food and family and synagogue and joy was, like, part of it, but not with the dogma of, like, you have to do these things, kind of just you want to do these things. And it's interesting for me because I see people like you, friends that are discovering it, and I, I'm i like slightly envious because for me, it's just an old shoe, even though I love it. Yeah. Obviously, like I chose it as my life, you know, and I, I too am yeah. awe. It, like I'm in awe. I was literally crying reading the Torah portion for this week. Basically, for people who don't know, we read this. We read a Torah portion every week. It's a portion of the Torah, and it's divided, and it's there's a rhythm, and there, everyone is doing it. It's like on the same calendar, and I was like just crying at this moment in it, and I'm like, this still gets me, 
really? I'm still moved by this story. <laughs> My husband thinks it's ridiculous, but like he's like, what is going on? I'm like, it's just so emotional. Joseph and his brothers and the, they're reconnecting. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, you know? So like, I, I, yeah. but I, but when I talk to you and we've had conversations over the time, over time, and it's just, uh, it's awesome to see like just someone discovering new rituals in, in our case, Jewish rituals that like just feel, I don't know, whole or connective. And, yeah. 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 Well, and also like that it's not, that it's, a living, like that it can be a living experience, like a living text, like not just the Torah, but like, but in this case, that's what we're talking about. Because now that I've been going to synagogue regularly for like, you know, almost seven years, which is like so crazy to me, given that I like basically didn't go before I was, you know, 37 or 38 or whatever I was when we moved here. (laughs) Um, that like, I can remember, oh, this Torah portion, when it was during the Trump years, like it was read this way. And when it, you know, like, post, like, you know, like Biden's like inauguration, it was whatever, like, the way that the world that we're living in starts to play, play into it is like, and the way we've changed, we change, of course, like, that's the, you know, and and that's the same. Again, it's the same with like literature, I have there are poems that I read obsessively like in college that really spoke to me in one way. And now I look back at them and I'm like, Oh wow. Now I read this like as a mother or I read it as a wife or I read it as, you know, in a different way than I did. And I, it's just such a, it, it, it's such a gift to like, to have something that you can return to in that way. And, and that it's built into a religion I find like, it's like so fascinating. So yeah. yes, it is new. It is still new to me in this kind of wonderful way. I love it. And I, I, I want to, I want to move to you being a writer. We're not going to talk about you once upon a time being a dancer because it's not in your bio, but I just want to say that's also, I feel like a very, obviously a very highly creative and embodied art form. But also I would say like, there's like a lot of, in my experience of watching dance, like I just find it to be very, there's like a ritualistic aspect to it in some way. Oh yeah. But also with writing and you teach writing and I'm curious, do you find, like, I know you're writing a book, right? Like, do you find ritual to be important to your writing process? Do you have a ritual with writing? Is ritual part of it in any way for you as a writer? Yes, I think, I mean, yes and no. It's not in the sense that like some people are like, I lay out my desk and I like light my candle and I like put my like stones or whatever, like that kind of thing. I don't do any of that. But I do, I have found often that the most sort of like creatively like generative times are when I'm, when I'm doing things in the same kind of way. So for instance, we spent last, most of last year in England and I had a very different schedule because of the time difference. So I wasn't teaching during the day. And so I could write all day if I wanted to. Of course, I never did because I can't, (laughs) I just can't write that much, but I can write for like a whole morning. And so I got into at a certain point, I got into this sort of ritual of like, my daughter would get up, she would go to she would go to school by herself because she could just like walk down the street. She often did not want me to walk with her. Sometimes I was lucky and she did want me to walk with her. So I'd walk like the block to school with her and then I would like keep going and sometimes I'd have to like wait for her to go 
So I wasn't like seen with her and then I could like walk off on my own. But there was a coffee shop that was like 10 minutes away. And it was like, you know, it was like I'm walking there and it was like my mind is getting into the mode of like, okay, I'm going to like get there. I'm going to order my coffee. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to open the document and I'm going to go. And it was like, you know, it's like Pavlov's dog or whatever. That is ritual. What are you talking about? That's the most ritualistic thing ever. Yeah. That was enormously helpful because also when you're a dancer, it's funny, it's not in my bio. I didn't realize that. But anyway, <laughs> I must have just taken it out. You're but like, when I was dancer, we're done. <laughs> we're done. Yeah, I, know, I was like, that phase of my life is over. I don't even know. But it is very ritualistic to because you go to class every day. You have to, right? So you get up. I, I got up at the same time. I'd have the same breakfast. I'd get on the subway. I'd go to class like every right. day. And when you stop being a dancer, you're like flailing. Right. What do you do? In, in life. What do you do? Because you're just like, what do I do with myself? And like, how do I organize my time? And so as a writer, this is the hardest thing in some ways about being a writer is like, how on earth do I like make sense of these hours and like turn them into something that like once someone just was like, well, on the schedule, the class is from 10 to 12 at like, you know, movement research and you have to like get on the subway and get there and show up and that's all you have to do. And in this case, you have to like build it yourself. And so, you know, I do find that the more I build it, the easier it is to sort of live inside it. But, you know, your life changes and like, I'm not in England anymore. I have, now I do different things. So I have to like build in a new yeah, sort of system. I think, I think it's such a good I love that. Like you have to build it in order to like actually have the ritual to happen. And I am flailing and I'm not a dancer, but I've been in grad, I've been in school my whole life until five years ago. And I'm still like, you're not telling me when classes, like, when do I work? (laughs) When do I do it? How do I do it? What is the, just tell me what it is and I will actually do it. I'm very good at getting to where I need to go, but to do it, to have like intrinsic motivation to find a way to do it and then to have the rituals. So it's so paramount to doing what you need to do, especially when you're in entrepreneurial life or writing life and cannot call myself a writer, but I do write a lot, you know, and how do you carve the time and doing it? And like, I'm just like, I'm so envious of that England. I mean, I don't know. I just like can see England and that, that particular rhythm being so conducive to a life of, productivity, but like also ritualistic productivity, which to me is like something I crave. But you do that here in LA too. You've carved it out too for yourself, right? Have you figured out a a new container for your... I mean, I'm, I'm working on it. But I wanted to say something first about what you were saying about England, that like, I think that I, part of the thing that is kept me going there. And one of the things I'm trying to like, sort of like lean into here is to not think of it as productivity. Right. Like I'm trying to think of it as like, I'm in this process and I'm giving myself the space and the container to be inside the process for like X number of hours a day or whatever it is, because the I think the word productivity makes me ill. Oh, for like, sure, like for sure, like physically ill, but also, but I just just think culturally, like this is we're so preoccupied with like our productivity and like are we getting things done and like, and I just feel like, you know, especially because this is not the first book I've written, and I've learned over time that like the only guarantee is the process. Like you just don't know a like what 
the product will end up being and if it'll be any good, like you can work your ass off and, you know, it, it could be great and it could not sell. It could be fine and it could sell. Like it's, that's a sort of separate thing. So I've tried to think of it more as like, I'm giving myself the space to like be in this, what I do think of as like a sort of ritualized like environment to like be with like this, these ideas and these characters and these like plot lines and like, and then it ends, yeah, you know, and then I like go on with the rest of my life. And, and so it's a much more sort of sacred like experience than like, I'm going to get my pages done, you know, which is part of it Sometimes too. Sometimes it has like, to be part of it, but yeah. For sure. Yeah. I like yeah. the idea of yeah. the metaphor. I have a friend who says, you just need a candle for ritual. That's it. Like, she's like, that's all you need. But then I'm like, but you sometimes don't have a candle. She's like, but you always have a candle. You just, you just like metaphorically light the candle. Like, and then like yes. you metaphorically light the candle to contain what it is that you are about to do with intention and attention and care and like and then you blow it out and she does that for everything she does that needs to be in a sacred space and I've used it and I think it's amazing actually I love that I mean and also I think too of like almost the opposite of like I mean it's the same idea but the opposite of lighting a candle which is like to turn off you know turn on focus mode <laughs> you know it's like the luxury of like creating a space where you're not interrupted because we don't allow ourselves that anymore. And I don't really know how you go deep on anything if you're like sort of like super scattered. And I am like a very, I think we all are now, but I feel like very prone to being totally scattered Yeah. <laughs> in part because I'm like, I'm going to text this friend. I'm going to like, oh, I saw this thing. Like, I want to share it with everybody. Like, it's just yeah. like, I, I don't, the last thing on the list is like me and like my book. And so just being like, I'm turning it off mm -hmm. for now. And then I will turn it back on and I can live in this like quiet space, mm -hmm. you know, by myself for like a couple hours and it'll be fine. And you like turn it off. Like you turn your phone off literally. Is that what you mean? Or you mean you, your brain? I turn it on. I turn focus uh-huh. Or whatever. I turn do not disturb on. Let's right, put it that right, way. Right. But do not disturb on. And you focus in. Yeah. 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 We need like a lot of <laughs> a lot of like guardrails. You know, it's like it doesn't happen on its own. I, I'm someone who needs like a lot of outside um like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what this I'm making like motions with my hands, but like External. something to like keep me keep me confined. Like I remember Amy, our friend Amy Bender, who's like, you know, absolutely wonderful writer, like wrote something years ago about like, she used to write in a closet. Yeah, I remember that know, piece. Yeah. Because there's something about being like, you know, it's a different space and there's something about being contained in it. Right. That it's like for this thing. And I can see like how helpful that would be, you know, that kind of thing. And that's how I felt like when I went to the coffee shop in Cambridge, I often like put earbuds on and I blasted music. Yeah which was like sort of weird, but it was like less distracting than everyone talking. But I was like in my own bubble of something and that was helpful. I used to be so great at that, you know, especially when I lived in New York, like that mode of just going to a coffee shop and really just needing to get whatever I needed to get done. But also I enjoyed the process of getting, it wasn't just the productivity, it was the learning and the growing and 
I don't know. I don't know if it's an LA, you know, like I wonder if, <laughs> like I wonder, or just getting older and having children and it being harder to just create. And, and I guess this like the Cocta device that we are just attached to, I guess we didn't have those. So that's probably really honestly the answer. Yeah. Well, and also I think I don't necessarily have a problem with like getting stuff done that needs to get done, you know, like, I have students and I have to read their work and I have to prepare for class and I have to fill out the forms for my daughter and I have to make dinner. And I, you know, like I don't have a problem problem with like productivity. I have a problem with like taking care of the thing that I want to do that doesn't have any capitalist or like commercial value at this point and may never, but I still, you know, like it still deserves like time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really hard thing to reconcile, you know, because we're so oriented towards success and, you know, checking stuff off our list. And sometimes these bigger projects, like it doesn't work that way. You know, like you're kind of inside this like amorphous like thing and you're just sort of like swimming in it for a while. And, but it's like really rich, like territory, I think to like be in anyway. You know, and, you, but it's hard. Do you feel like it's important for you to be in it daily? Like, is there like for ritual purposes when we're talking writing for you? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Does it not matter? Is it not a time bound thing? Yeah, I think I have been through different periods of like feeling very differently about this. Like I went through periods where I was like, I'm going to work every day for two hours and that's the deal. Or I'm going to write a thousand words every day. I mean, when we were in England, my husband was on sabbatical. So it was a different sort of situation. And so I knew I had these hours that I would never get again. Right. And so I was more committed to like, I am working every morning. And so I did have like real kind of set, a set schedule for myself. Since we've been back, it's been harder because I have more stuff to do that's not writing. And so to be honest, I've become a little less like attached to some idea of like, you have to do 45 minutes every day. You have to do it every day. I think the lot, I think that's a lot. That's why I'm asking that, like, it. You have to write every yeah, day. I think it's, I don't think it's true. I think it's unrealistic. I mean, I actually like, I had a meeting today with a person I talked to about my book and you know, we kind of were talking about it and I was like, well, you know, I have like, we have a week and a half until the holidays and then it's the holidays and <laughs> am I ever going to write anything? And she was like, no, what you're going to do is you're going to work on this one scene. You're going to like lay out a map of like the kind of events happening in this book. And then you're going to not do anything for a few weeks because how can you, Right. you know, right. I've just become more relaxed about it, but with an eye towards like, am I being lazy or am I just being realistic about my life right now? You know? And I think sometimes it's like, do you, do you want to be in the mode of like pushing yourself a little beyond the bounds of what's comfortable? Or do you want to be in a place of like where I was this fall, where I was like, I'm going to underdo for the sake of like keeping my life in control and sane and healthy and I think that's okay too, you know? Yeah. And it's very hard to do in our world to be able to let things lie and be fallow. I mean, in Judaism and the Torah, we say we have to every seven years, the land has to like rest, you know, 
I think it applies to humans every seven years. We probably need a sabbatical of some kind to recharge in some way. Like, right. But it's like, yeah, yeah, not part of it, not part of the system that we that we dwell in right now. No. So it has to be built in. You have to build it into your own life in whatever way you can. Right. And I just find it like not only you know, important, but actually like vital. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I used to be so in the productive. I mean, I was just like working. I can't even explain how much as a rabbinical student. It was like, I had like three internships and two children. And like, it was just actually when I look back, I'm like, what? How? Yeah. But I was so motivated to make it because that's our system, right? Like, I don't know what making it really looks like, but I had some sort of idea of what that was. And I was just, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I was sick. It didn't matter if I had an autoimmune disease that was definitely brewing and like eating at my insides. <laughs> like it literally did yeah. not matter until I physically actually got so unwell that like it had to matter. Like my body was like, nope, yeah, you actually have to like sit down. You actually have to lie down. You actually have to stop. And I I think a lot about how most of us, I, I feel so blessed for that like wake up call, you know, even though it's, it's a journey and it's not fun. You know, I feel like, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that thing that I did that was endless. And as a result of that, I feel so much more in touch with my spiritual life, in touch with my children, in touch with my husband, in touch with community, in touch with myself, that like quiet, that like needing the stillness and the quiet. So much so that I like, it's hard for me to go a little bit more back into productive zone. Like I, I can see myself quietly living in the country and being pretty content, but I don't live in the country. I live in Los Angeles. What do you right. do? <laughs> How do you go back in yeah, a little exactly. bit as yourself? And you've had a journey of that too, like in the different, you know, iterations. Like when I first met you, you were also, I mean, is if that's okay, like for me too, we've changed a lot, right? You were, you were not good with stillness yeah. or quiet. No, but I also had a similar sort of experience of like, you know, in my twenties, the aforementioned unmentioned dance career in my bio. You know, I was a professional dancer and I had a career ending injury and I, but before the injury ended my career, I danced in pain for years. And it was the same thing that you're talking about. It was like, well, I have to go to class. Well, I have to go to rehearsal. Well, I have to perform. Well, I have to do this. And I have to have this other client. I was teaching yoga and like, I have to like travel from Brooklyn to like Upper East Side and then back and back again and back again and zigzag the city all day long and then go to rehearsal until 10 o'clock at night. Like, I mean, I was in my twenties and I just thought I was sort of infallible and it turns out I was not. And then I had to stop dancing because I was, you know, had was living in so much pain and then I had to like literally reset my life. And since then, I've had a very different relationship to that kind of productivity. Like I, you know, the body has its limits. And, and, and not just that, I think the biggest thing that I learned in that period was like, I am not, I had a friend who's like, I was very involved in like, you know, meditation and like Buddhist studies. And because it was like part of my yoga teacher training. And one of my dearest friends, Ethan Nickturn, who is now he's like a big wig in the kind of Shambhala Buddhist world. 
he, when everything sort of started to fall apart for me, I was like 20, almost 28. And he said, you know, it's really hard to be in control of everything all the time, isn't it? And I just started like sobbing. We were on the phone. Mm. And it was like the truth of that statement was I had never understood before, you know? And I was like, I really, I am not at the wheel here. Like clearly there's something else going on. And I think ever since then, I don't think that I can, you know, man it all, you know, and resting and taking breaks and listening to my body certainly is like, that is how now I live my life basically, because like there's no choice. And it does make, it does make you see that not everything is sort of impermanent, you know? And like, that's kind of an amazing lesson. It's very hard to learn. And it's very hard to live with that. And we forget it all the time. Of course, we're like, if things are going to be, things work out. And we're like, this is the way they should be, you know? And it's like, that's not true either. But that piece of it has been really, really monumental in how I move through my life now, you know? Mm. That is such a, poignant question and such a hard moment I imagine for you as a 28 year old yeah yeah it was uh it was <laughs> it was dark I mean I think you know I mean we all have those moments I think for dancers they come earlier that your career ends like earlier than you than it would if you were like you know a scientist or whatever right. but it it is a moment of like you know having to come to terms with the fact that like the life that you built is perhaps not the life you're going to get forevermore. And that's horrible, but it's also maybe kind of like a liberation of some sort too, you know? That's life in essence, right? I mean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Highs and lows. Exactly. Repair, rupture. <laughs> Resurrect. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. of it at once. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's why why ritual is so important because it stands, at least I'll just do a little preachy on this. Like, I just think it stands the test of time because we, no matter what, can always participate in ritual. And it could be the ritual that we did of our childhood. Like, you can return to Oprah. I mean, I know she's not on air, but you can put like, put an old episode on and you can actually (laughs) return to yourself in that moment, right? Yeah. Or like lighting Shabbat candles, right? Or baking the hot, right? Like, there's just like, like no, like your daughter, right? She will, I am sure you baking challah every week or it's part of her existence in some way that's like in her now, that ritual. Like whether yeah. she does it or not yeah. as an adult actually won't really matter. It's just that it's like yeah, in her being, part of her. Yeah, totally. And I even feel that way about like my childhood in general that it was very like, you know, we had dinner every night together we had, you know, these beautiful home cooked meals that my mother made. We had salad after every main dish because my parents had lived in Paris and this is how you eat in Paris is you always have salad after the meal. And so my sister and I always grew up knowing like you have salad after the meal. And I think that, you know, this went on for 18 years and like it's, it, it is built into my psyche that this is how one, you know, eats. And but also the kind of consistency and the reassurance of that is it, like, that is my childhood to me. It's like that kind of, you know, return, return, return. We're always going to come back to the table. We're always going to come back to like, 
you know, this kind of formation of people and, and look, that's what I think of as my childhood. Obviously there was a lot more, but like that's, you know, in terms of like creating a stable kind of place to return to. And my husband and I are always joking because I always want to do the same things and he always wants to do something new. Mm. And so we're happy. We always have to navigate (laughs) that space of like the person who's very adventurous and the person who's like, really wants to create like ritual and home and like a sense of safety and of security and the person who's like we're fine like we don't need all that we can just like go off and find you know new shit (laughs) so it's you know it's a balancing act for us well and ritual like also i mean we've we've been in ritual together where it's just like a new random one and those can be like exciting and fun too you know so like both both pieces. When I, when I said, I guess, I mean, like creating ritual, you know, which we've done together. Yeah. And those moments can really be exhilarating too. Like those like one-off moments where it's like gathering with a group of women and being like, here we go. Like, let's do this ritual together. Absolutely. I mean, I think of like the ritual, one of the rituals that you led for a, a friend of ours who was going through breast cancer. And it was like, so it was so clear. I mean, first of all, it was like so moving and, and I mean, I was like crying and But I was like, of course, of course she needs this. Like, of course, like what, what, how could she go into this next phase of her life without this? Like, how is it that we think they're like, we have such a limited view of like what rituals should be for, you know, it's like, you're getting married, you're having a baby, (laughs) you're, I don't even know. Like they're so limited, I know, you know, and, and it was so, it was like, so kind of, exhilarating to to learn like oh you can do this for all sorts of things anything you know and how necessary and how much like there was so much feeling that came out of it that it was like oh obviously we all need this like not just her like obviously she needs it the most but the community of women around her were like trying to hold something without any sense of structure and then you came in and were like here's some structure for all your feelings (laughs) and it was like oh of course, of course. We all need it. We just don't know how to this. do it and how to do it regularly and how to find our ways to help one another to do it. And it's, I mean, I guess talking about it helps and hopefully invites other people to do it. I um, I was also just thinking about your writing class that I got to take. And you also hold ritual in that space as well. There's a rhythm to like what you, it's like, you know, and, and so you're someone while you might not consider yourself a ritualist, right? Like you're not, that's not like how you identify, but you're someone that does invite ritual into your everyday life in my, in my experience of you. So like, I think you just, I think we all are kind of primed, but there's some people that are just like, oh no, I'm, I'm diving in. This is something that I care about. Yes. And I think that one of it, one of the things that I feel like I've learned from you and doing rituals with you and also in teaching classes, like over time, is like, you have to make a space that's like for a specific thing. It is not just like, let's all get together and like, you know, talk about writing. <laughs> like, and we'll start when we do. And first, we're going to like talk about how everyone's doing. Like, I think I, because a lot of my teaching like this particular like these particular groups of women that I teach now on mostly on zoom like started out of the pandemic I was very clear with myself that there was so much going on in the world when people came into this like class space we were not going to like 
check in about our lives. We were not going to like, there was going to be no bleeding of the outside world in other than from the writing. And I felt like this was so important because it was people did not, there was just so much of like, Oh my God, this is happening. And this is happening. And the blah, it was like so chaotic. And I was just like, no, we need a space that's like just to read and write the end. And obviously things will come in, in that way like through the writing but the container has to be like very solid and very specific and then people can really let loose and in some ways like I learned this from like being a dancer because when you go into class or you go into rehearsal like the famous thing is like you leave your shit at the door like no one cares if like you broke up with your boyfriend or like you're in a fight with your mom like you leave it you literally leave it at the door I mean literally I don't know if you you leave all your like all your stuff stuff and then all your other stuff at the door yeah and you walk in and you do your work and and I was like we've gotten it's gotten so messy and like No, let's just like have a space where people can be really paying attention to themselves and to each other in this one way. And it just felt like that was, you know, we were all dying for that. So important. Very (laughs) life-saving. Okay. I have, I have a last question for you. Do you have a ritual that you return to? Like one that, you know, is sort of yours that grounds you, contains you? that you'd love to share. I apologize to the state of California, but I take a bath every night and it's a lot of water. So that's why I apologize. Oh, to yeah, no, California. I get it. It's, you can, you could apologize, but maybe we'll, we'll release you I mean, from it. I guess we're not in a drought. But... We'll release it from you. <laughs> that is the one thing that I actually, every night I take a bath and I read in the bath and I do it like for my body mostly because I like my back needs like that needs it. But also it's like, it is just for me you know, and it's a really my way to like, unwind and, and be human, be human. You know, my phone is not in there with me. My family is not in there with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's like, I, you know, whatever just helps me make the transition from day to, to night, basically, but it feels like increasingly in a kind of like to go back to our sort of productivity thing. It's like, I don't like it's, inherently unproductive right I just lie there and I read my book and I mean and it's like that's it you know yeah but I really do need it every night I don't I I and even when we go traveling I'm like looking for the bathtub (laughs) when we lived in Vienna we almost we lived in an apartment and our apartment was like sort of small and not great. And we wanted to move and we found this like gorgeous apartment that actually had a bust in the corner. They were all fully furnished because we had no stuff. There was a bust in the corner that my husband like loved and it was this huge apartment, but there was no bathtub. And I was like, I can't live here. Like I, I can't. And you know, God bless him. He was like, okay, fine. Like (laughs) it has everything else. This is a long ritual. This is not new. This is not new. No. I used to like read poetry in the bath in like college. I would like Neruda in the bath. I mean, it's so hilarious. You had a bath but in college? No, no. Sorry. Not, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> like the idea that you could take a bath in college, like where everyone else is so like, gross. God doing God knows what. <laughs> no, no, no. When I went home and I went home, I have like, you totally. know, memories of like Christmas break, like falling in love and I'm yeah. like missing, you know, whatever and reading poetry. No. I did not, I did not take baths in college, but yeah, it's a long standing. it's a long standing. it's a long standing one. And it's like, it's profound to me. 
I love I love baths. I, I wouldn't say it's a daily ritual for me, but it at least two or three times a week, it's like imperative for me to like be in water and to like, and now I have one child that's like that too, which I'm like, she's like, I, she, she just literally is like, I just need to be in here. And it makes a big difference for her. Yeah. I think it is like sense, sense, like a sensory. Yeah. Like calming. Yeah. Water. Thing I mean, it's like the most, yeah. I mean, energy wise, it's what purifies, cleanses, renews, very, very feminine energy too. So, yeah, I will say during the pandemic, the early days, my daughter and I had a ritual of like every Friday morning, we got up at six and we'd go to the beach and we'd have breakfast at the beach. And it was like the best part of the week by far. And not just because of, you know, being at the beach and there was nobody there and we were together and the sun was coming up and all of those things. But, you know, so much to me about ritual is like the anticipation of it. Like the fact that, you know, it's going to happen. The fact that you can sort of count on it in some way, that is the joy so much for me of that. And this is why, you know, I kind of come back to this thing of like, this funny thing of my husband and I being a little bit like opposites in this way is like, I love to go back and do things again. Yeah. And like, no, and like things that I loved, I'm like, we're going to do it again. And he's like, why would we do it again when we could do something different, you know? And it's good to be married to someone. I think like that, because then we would just like always be, we would never do anything new. And you go to the same restaurant every single time. Yeah, exactly. And like, I love that. I love like ordering the same thing and being like, remember when we had this Mm -hmm. and he's just not like that. And it's like great to have both energies, like sort of pushing at each other a little bit because, you know, you get both the both. And thank you, Abby. Um, everyone follow her. You can find more of Abby Ritzmitsky at, you want to tell us? You can find me on Instagram. I think at Abby Raz, Abby Raz. That's like my only social media at this point. So Instagram, she has a website. I have a website, abigailresminski.com. And that's where often classes are listed and summer school will be listed. I think those are the only places at this point. I really have gone off all the rest. Amazing. You can follow her there, find her, take a class. She's awesome. Join the summer school. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yay. Such a good episode. Don't you just love that Oprah, Oprah part? I didn't want to ruin it for you in the beginning and te- and, and spill the beans, but so good, right? Um, you could just picture her as a kid watching Oprah. And I think we can all go back to our childhood and, and think of those moments that we had that were ritualistic in nature that we didn't think of as rituals, but they really were rituals and so powerful. I want to, I want to just say a quick note of gratitude. I am really loving doing this podcast and I'm really glad that you're here. And I just wanted to thank you. And if you're loving the podcast as much as I'm loving doing the podcast, I invite you to share it with a friend, to rate it on Apple, leave a review. It's so helpful for the algorithm. So I, I thank you so much for listening and being here and for doing that. It's super, super helpful. Um, please also follow us at the ritual.house. I know I have a whole like little recorded thing that tells you to do these things, but every follow helps make this podcast happen. I'm going to be 
doing monthly things at Riverbank LA, which is a pretty cool place. So you can check that out. Um, would love to see you IRL if you live in LA. Okay. As always, I'm going to leave you with a little ritual. And I've been thinking about this idea that Abby floated around, which was the daily need of of the bath, right? That daily need. And also as a child, her daily need of Oprah. And so my invitation for you for this week is to actually take a breath, maybe three, deep breath in and out. And I want you to think of something that you can commit to daily that is a ritual just for this week. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It could be drawing a bath. It could be listening to a particular song. It could be a walk around your block. It could be an exercise that really moves you. It could be watching reruns of Oprah. But the invitation is for you to actually commit this week to doing it daily. I'll give you one day off. You could take one day off to do it daily and see what happens. Because Here at The Ritual House, we do not believe that you have to do rituals every day. You don't. You definitely don't. And I think I see this podcast as an opportunity to try things on. And I actually want to try that on. So this week, I'm going to invite you to do that. So that is ritual one. Ritual two, we just had a new moon yesterday. In Jewish tradition, the new moon is also the start of our new month. We are now in the month of Shvat. It's an interesting month. There's a lot of mystical elements of it. You can subscribe to my newsletter to read more about that. In the meantime, I want to invite us to think about the fact that this new moon is an invitation for us to enter a new phase, a new phase of the year. We're entering Shvat, which means we're entering that month that contains a beautiful holiday called Tubi Shvat, which is a holiday that we honor the earth, but specifically we honor the trees. So for this new moon, one of the rituals that I love to do, and you can still do it, you don't have to do, in my opinion, as a ritualist, I do not think you need to do new moon rituals on the new moon. Of course, there's like a potency to that and go for it if that's what you feel called to and it works for you logistically. But I think we're all really busy and unfortunately, we're not living by the rhythm of the lunar cycle. I wish that we were. But my recommendation is for you to find a way to mark this new moon. And one way to do that is to do something with the earth. So I'm going to give you the one that I did this week or I'm doing this week. I haven't done it yet, but I will be doing. So the ritual that I think really calls me in this moment for this new moon is for us to really plant seeds. And the way that I do this is a whole different like step-by-step ritual, but I'm going to share a little bit about a way to do it really quickly. Write down the seeds that you want to plant, not the thing that you want to happen tomorrow. Yes, like that's great. But think of like the big thing that you want to have happen in your life. And think about how you're planting the seed for that big thing to happen, big thing for you to create yourself. So for instance, it might be, I'm like something that I'm actually, I'll be vulnerable and share is like, I'm really committed this year and this month, this new moon to plant the seed, to invite more fun and spontaneity in my life. I think that's my word 
for this for this particular new year. Another aspect is more intimate friendships and connective friendships, not just when I see someone, but actually like having those deep, meaningful conversations. So that's like an example. So I'm going to like write that out or draw that out. And next to me, I'm going to have actual something in the earth. It could be just like grass in your backyard. And it could also be like, actually like you have like a pot with dirt in it. Okay. And I'm going to write out those intentions and basically place them on top of the dirt, connect to the soil with my hands, and say, in this beautiful new moon, in this beautiful new year, I am planting the seeds for them to grow. So that's a little mini ritual to mark the new moon in some way. You don't have to do it with other people. You can if you want to, but it is a way to say, hi, I'm here. I'm here and I'm ready to mark this moment. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. I'm wishing you a week that is filled with such compassion for yourself, some beautiful new moon energy, and some sweet vibes. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we want to hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritual.house. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.